Uh, the next couple of weeks that I speak to you, I'm going to be talking about David the Worshipper as we continue the I Am David series. We talked about the first two weeks that he was, he was a warrior. And we talked about that greatness was achieved on the battlefield. That's where you're going to find greatness is when you're on the battlefield. You're never going to find greatness on the rooftop. You're never going to find greatness on the rooftop. You find greatness in the battlefield. That's where it happens. And over the next couple of Sundays that uh, I'm sharing with you, we're going to talk about this lesson that David teaches us about greatness in regards to worship. Have you noticed that any time David got into something, he went to worship as his solution? If you were with us last week, I finished our teaching with Psalms 51. Created me a clean heart, O God. Where was that written? It was written right after the prophet confronted him and said, you committed adultery with Bathsheba and you ordered the murder of, of her husband. You're right. What did he do? He resorted to worship. That's what he did. David is considered the uh, worshiping king. He wrote many of the Psalms that are in our Psalms. So let's talk about David. And this week I want to talk about David and how he utilized worship. And then you get a two-week reprieve from me. And you get Pastor Chris for two weeks. And then I'll be back to talk about David the worshiper and how that applies to us in a couple of weeks. So, no, we're not leaving. We're just... You remember Everett? My grandson that was born in the midst of COVID and my daughter was diagnosed with a positive test. They put her in a room, <laughs> said they were going to take her kid away and all that stuff. And she didn't have COVID. And anyway, Everett turned one. So next weekend, we're having the grand... Everett one-year-old birthday party that he will not know anything about, but it's a chance for us to be with our family before part of our family moves to Arizona in September. So anyway, thank you for giving us grace for that. Let's talk about David. David, number one, was an expressive worshiper. He was an expressive worshiper. He just told his wife, you think that was bad, that I was dancing in my underwear I'll even become more undignified when I'm doing it for the right reason. Did you hear what he said to his wife? It is unto the Lord. Now, I'm going to just be blunt early on. I've been in churches where they said we're expressive worshipers. And I have no problem with expressive worship as long as it's unto the Lord. But when it becomes show off to people, that's not worship. Is that okay? There was a pastoral instruction in the first paragraph. We're in serious trouble here. David was physically demonstrative. He expressed himself through song and psalm. He was extravagant in his love for God. Now, we sang clapping songs this morning. Did you notice that? Do you notice that I don't clap? I want to clap, but I don't clap because the one who tells me when the beat is isn't here today. Because I always hit the wrong, you're doing it on this instead of that. You're doing it at the 1-3 instead of the 2-4, whatever. I don't even know what she's talking about. So I just watch, and when Jill said, okay, I can do that. I can count 1, 2, 3, 4. Or today there was a 6-count thing going there. 
I don't mind being physically demonstrative and clapping. I love to be physically demonstrative and raising my hands. Why do you say is it important that we worship? Well, because we are a tripartite being. We're spirit, soul, and body. And so we use our body to, to worship. And David certainly did that. He was very demonstrative. You read his writings and he talks about, I will sing to the Lord. What's he doing? He's using his body to express in music. I will dance before the Lord. I'll lift my hands. He also would bow low. Those are all physical expressions of worship. He was an extravagant worshiper of God. Can You, you, you heard the story that, that uh, Dan read. It said, when they were bringing the ark of the Lord, they went six steps and he stopped and worshiped. Six more steps, stopped and worshiped. Now, we'll talk about why that was significant next time. But think about the first half of this story. The first half of this story is they went to get the ark back from the Philistines. And they were bringing it back, and they got halfway, and they had an incident. And David became afraid. And then he got news. You know where he left the ark? It's amazing. Their wells have water. Their trees have figs and dates. Their animals are reproducing like crazy. The arcs, there's a blessing. We better go get it. We'll talk about that in two weeks. That's a teaser. Six steps he sacrificed. He danced before the Lord with his might. Do you realize, secondly, David's love for God earned him four distinguished honors. Four distinguished honors. Number one, God referred to David as a man after his own heart. There's only four people in the Bible that are listed that way. That puts you in like the super inner ring of the Hall of Fame. That's not just the Dallas Star thing down there in Arlington or whatever town they built that stadium in. He was a man after God's own heart. It says in 1 Samuel 13, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. That's God recognized David and acknowledged David and raised him up before he was ever king because his heart sought after God. In Acts chapter 13, it says, God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. What was David? He was a worshiper. And God says, a worshiper is a person after my own heart. Why is that important? Because when we worship, where are we placing God? Worship literally means to ascribe worth or value. So we're saying, God, you are valuable. You are most valuable. What did God say about himself? You'll have no other gods before me. When it talks about him being jealous, it's not like, I want you, you're mine. That's not the thing. He, he just cannot acknowledge being second place. Oh God, you're up there in the top five of my life. That's nice. He wants to be first. It says there in uh, Acts chapter 13, 
God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man after whom God said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Listen to what else it said. He will do everything I want him to do. Do you know the second thing about him is his throne was established as Israel's permanent throne. Do you realize that Saul's line as king lasted through Saul? Yes? And David's line, it was promised that through his lineage there would be a king forever. Guess who came down that line of David? Jesus, who is our king of kings and our Lord of lords. He had a permanent throne. Isaiah 9, 7 says, His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The, the passionate commitment of the Lord's armies will make this happen. Number three, here's why he's famous. David introduced praise and worship into Israel's practices. Think about what it was before David's tabernacle of worship. What did you do? You brought animals. You brought one every time you sinned. Some of us would be asking someone in our family, just hold me a place in the line, I'll be right back. That was, thank you, Mark, that was funny. Every year we're offering things. Every time we do something wrong, we're offering something. How often do we see the presence of God? We don't. We have someone else go in once a year, right? David comes along, and he introduced praise and worship, singing, worship, prayer, all of the things that we do that we've already done in service today. You know where they started? They started with David. That's why it's significant. And then the last, David chooses, or God chooses David's tabernacle as the permanent worship pattern of Israel. That's why he's significant. So what was the promise and pattern of David's tabernacle worship? Well, number one, the promise is God ordained that all people throughout all time would use his pattern of worship to seek and worship him. So why do we study the way he worshiped? Because God said, it's that pattern, it's the one I'm going to acknowledge and I'm going to bless. In Acts chapter 15, it says, As it is written, Afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will build its ruins and restore it, so the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. Let me read that again. Including Mark O'Connell. All those I have called to be mine. Well then, what was the pattern? What was the pattern of his tabernacle? Well, first of all, it was demonstrative praise and worship. We read that verse. I looked at it in the Amplified in uh, 2 Samuel 6, 14. It says, David was dancing before the Lord with great enthusiasm. You see what word is right in the middle of enthusiasm? Theos. You study theology. Who are you studying? God. What's the center of any real enthusiasm? God. And David was wearing a linen ephod or a priest's upper garment. He was in his t-shirt. 
He was in the thing that was designed to make sure you didn't sweat on the priestly robes. Ephesians chapter 5. It says, don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be continually filled with the Spirit. Listen to what it says. And your hearts will overflow with joyful song to the Lord. Your hearts will overflow. I wonder how many of you this week will be driving in your car at work and suddenly you're going to be hearing the well that won't run dry. You might be doing it because it's just an overflow of, wow, it's been a great day. Or it might be, this is the worst day ever and I'm as low as I can get and out of your innermost being will come that reminder. It's the well that won't run dry. Look at what it says. Your hearts will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord. Keep speaking to each other with words of scripture, singing psalms with praise and spontaneous songs given by the Spirit. Always give thanks to God your Father for every person he brings into your life in the name of our Lord Jesus. Another thing about David's pattern. Listen to this. This is very exciting. All, all Jews and Gentiles could view the most holy place. Look, think about the old think about the Old Testament tabernacle. What did you have? You had the court of the Gentiles. That's where I would have been. That's where you get that, that's like the cheap seats at the stadium. Right? You know down there there is a field. By faith you think there's bases. That was funny. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? That's how it was. You, you didn't get close. And then if you were of Jewish faith, you could go inside a little bit. But did you ever get to see inside the Holy of Holies? No, there, there was one guy a year. that I don't know if he was lucky or not. In fact, if you look at what they did, they did two things because you couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies unless you had everything taken care of for yourself. And so you know what they did? They put bells on him and put a rope around him. Why? If the bell stopped ringing, somebody had died. And since no one else could go in until the next year, how are you going to get him out? You got a rope. You drag him out. No one got to come into the presence of the Lord. But David's tabernacle establishes something completely different. You get to see in. Are you hearing me? You should be more excited than this. You don't have to think there's a game. You get to go on the field. Which we got to do this morning in our time of worship. All Jews could view, Jews and Gentiles could view the most holy place. The sacrifice changed from a sacrifice of animals to a sacrifice of praise and worship. They become primary. Psalms 54 says, I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. In Jonah, it says, but, and Jonah, think about a guy wanting to talk about worship. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. Think of where he'd just come from. <laughs> you think your job's tough? Think of where he was hanging out for a few days. A little seaweed action. 
I will offer the sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. In the Old Testament, we had a system of continual sacrifice. Let me read a couple of verses real quick to you. You must also sacrifice one male goat as a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering, which is accompanied grain offering and liquid offering. Are you confused already? There's four. Honey, did you remember the grain offering? Oh, I left it on the counter. What about the liquid offering? Oh, no, I drank it. You must present these offerings to the Lord at your annual festivals. They're in addition to. Did you hear what he just said? They're in addition to sacrifices and offerings you present in connection with vows or as voluntary offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, liquid offerings, or peace offerings. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine that are listed. Are you confused? That was the Old Testament system. David comes along and says, from now on, your offering is going to be different. It's going to be the offering of sac the sacrifice of praise and worship. You'll say, how is that a sacrifice, Mark? It's pretty easy. We just get to sing or we get to raise our hands. We get to acknowledge God. We get to put God first in our hearts. Here's how it's a sacrifice. Some days are tough. Some days life is a highway, according to the great theologian Rascal Flatts. Is it challenging on those days to say, God, I don't feel you, I don't sense you, I don't hear you, but I acknowledge you're there, I do it by faith? Is that a sacrifice? Absolutely. In Hebrews 10, how many want a summary of what I just read? Here it is in Hebrews 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not good things themselves. The sacrifice under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. Here's the problem. They were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have been stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and the minister before the altar day after day after day. You go read some of that stuff. Can you imagine, you know, the, the line? And you're, and you're one of the priests, and your job is to sacrifice those offerings. What are you doing today, dear? Same thing yesterday. 642 turtle doves. It didn't solve the issue. The good news and the reason we can offer praise and worship from our heart is the good news is God provided the perfect sacrifice once for all. And who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Which is my next point. Jesus made sacrifice for all of us, so we offer the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. You could preach a sermon on that. 
For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to him. Now, I've given you a lot of history, so let's get to it. David's worship pattern and us. Number one, we're the tabernacle of David that God is rebuilding. You see, it's not a building. It's not an institution. It's not a building campaign for those of us in the ministry that have built several churches along the way. Here's what it is. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, what was inside of it? The physical ark, which was the manifest representation of God. In the New Testament, we are the temple. And what is the ark in us? Think about it. The Spirit. Isn't that fantastic? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The ark is inside us. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Think about it. God before was dwelling near or rested upon an ark that no one could see. Occasionally they'd see the glory come down, and that blew them away. And now here we are because of what Jesus has done. You get to have him in you. Do you think that should make it easier to praise? Should that make it easier to worship? You know, when you do that, something rises up within you. Your spirit begins to witness with the spirit of God, and you sense renewed hope. You sense renewed faith. You sense courage, you sense power, you sense freedom, all of those things. Why? Because of the Spirit of God, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. What dwells in you and me? If you don't think you need that today, turn on the news. So I'm told I don't watch it. Do you realize that we are God's transparent worship centers we are God's transparent worship centers we're here to reveal God to the world in the Old Testament when they went to the tabernacle they couldn't see in but can people see God now they see him reflected in our lives our job is to reveal God as salt and light and salt is to preserve and to flavor, and light is to illuminate. Jesus said it this way, you're the salt of the earth. And in a verse later, he says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You also realize, friends, that we're a nation of kings and priests who will worship God for eternity. Revelations 1 says, Grace and peace to you from the one who was and who is and who is still to come and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. Kings and priests. Kings represent God to people. Priests represent people to God. As believers in Jesus, 
You are called to both of those roles. I think it is so neat that in the world that my wife and I enjoy the privilege of serving, that there are times that people that we work with, because they know who we are and they know what our life represents, I get a call on my personal line. Mark, I'm afraid. Will you pray for me today? And guess what? I do. When I pray for someone that I work with, what am I doing? I'm representing their needs before God. What am I acting as? I'm acting as a priest for them. Do you recognize the incredible calling that we've been given because the Spirit of God dwells in us? Isn't that fantastic? And you'll say, well, how do we represent a king? Well, we represent God to, to people. I'll never forget my friend who called me from Hawaii and said, my wife's been hit by a wave and she's paralyzed. What do I do? And I said, Steve, go in the room. And you know what to do with fear. It's a spirit. You have authority. Tell it to get out. And he did. And I said, and then you pray the prayer of faith. And he did. And she was supposed to come home on some kind of medical thing in a stretcher. And yet, <laughs> that same week, she caught her regularly scheduled flight and sat in a seat, not paralyzed, coming home fine. We have had the joy of representing God's kingdom in people's lives. And you, have, you don't have to be Pastor Mark or Pastor Jill. You can be who you are and still do that. To see two couples sit in our home study and know that they're crying out, that they're crying out because they want to have children and they can't. And being able to speak the word of God and said, the thing you've dreamed about is going to be, go home and dream the reality and have them come back to study. I had a dream about our child and then get a call a few months later and say, can you stop by on your way home from the church you're pastoring? Wasn't this one, it was Penn Valley. Sure, we want to get permission to bring someone new to Bible study. Who's that? My wife said, you're pregnant, aren't you? That is the great opportunity that we have to establish the kingdom in people's lives. Do you get it? Are you, you, you should be excited about it. You should be enthused about it. You see, we become fulfilled as we learn to fulfill our role as kings and priests. We reach our destiny as we fulfill our role as kings and priests. Earth is where we get to practice this rulership. Earth is where we get to practice this priesthood. But heaven is where we're going to be rewarded. 
I imagine if I said, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. I know a couple people would finish that song in this room. <laughs> because heaven is a place where kings and priests worship God and rule with him. Revelation 3 says, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Heaven is going to offer us an atmosphere of beauty and indescribable joy. Psalm 16 says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Forever. I like earth. It's pretty cool. It's been good to me. I've enjoyed good health, fairly normal relations, healthy family. But it hasn't been without its hardships. Most people are unaware that my wife and I were dating just a couple of months and my wife was driving my car and they had an auto accident and her mother was killed. We weren't married then, but we went through that together and litigation after litigation. The reminder of what happened. So you look and say, oh, they, they're a perfect couple. They've never had struggle. Yeah, she was 19 and had no mom. I fell in a pool with an electric motor. You know that story. That was fun. I was abandoned by my parents. So while I've enjoyed life and I've made the best of it, I've chosen not to let those things impact me, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Because you know what's going to happen when you get there? You get to fulfill your design potential without limitation. So everything you were created to do, you'll get to do without the limitations that have kept you from fulfilling everything here. That's something to get excited about. I know I'm going to get to build in heaven. And I want to drive the big tractor. Some of you don't get it. But every job, I've always been the associate pastor. And so the D9, the pastor drove. And I had to drive the 1150, the little tractor. I always thought, is he a better driver than me? No, he was senior, so he got the big machine. Well, in heaven, I want the big one. Heaven is a place where you fulfill your design potential without limitation. Truth number three. Every great person is a worshiper of God and must pay a price to be one. I'm going to say a sentence that you want to add to this because I was inspired to add it this morning. They have risen above the pain of their past to reach their God-given destiny. They have risen above the pain of their past to reach their God-given destiny. You look at David, you think, well, of course he was a worshiper. He wrote most of the songs we sing and most of the psalms we read. You'll find out in the next few weeks, 
he wasn't even acknowledged by his father. You will find out as a result, he was a terrible father. You mean a man after God's own heart? He's a lousy dad. And yet he teaches us greatness when we align our life with God's purpose. Amen. Let's give a hand to Mark. That was a great message today. Um, I was challenged today, sitting back there listening to this, and I don't think there's probably a person in the room who wasn't challenged with today's message. A while back when I did a, a three-week series on removing idols, I talked about six practices of things that we need to do. And I have a group of friends that I recently challenged to giving everybody a gratitude list. And for a few days, people were texting all these things were great, they were grateful for, and then it fizzled out. And what God put on my heart while I was listening to this message today is to challenge us as a church family. How many of us come to church on Sunday morning, we lift up our hands or we don't? I saw this funny, me, a funny video where this guy was talking about the different forms of worship at church. He calls this one carrying the TV, you know. And I had a, I had a ministry leader once who challenged us in church. And he, 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 he cried out to the church and he was worshiping passionately like pastor was talking about. And he was doing it to the Lord. And he looked at us, every single person sitting in the room, my wife was there. And he said, God gave you hands and a mouth to worship, start using it when you're here. And it was like, whoa. And I was challenged in that. And I'm not challenging you all to come back next week and put your hands up and sing. That's not what I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you this week, let's spend some time where we sing and praise and worship our king, not here on Sunday morning. Because I know a lot of us can go through our week, and we wake up tomorrow, and it's Monday morning, and we get caught up with, I got to get ready, I got to get here, I got to get this done. And then, and then you work, and then it's Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, and you're back here, and you haven't sang and praised any worship in a week. I am guilty of this. This is why I challenge us as a church family. I challenge us this week, spend some time with God, singing and praising and worshiping. Remind yourself that you're a king and a priest and a representative of who God is. And it's going to start in that time of praise and worship in the privacy of your own home, in your car, in your free time, because we keep a lot of those things for ourselves. But I challenge us as a church family this week. Let's pray. Probably shouldn't have turned that thing off. I love watching that expressive worship right now. That's the expressive worship that David's talking about. That's the expressive worship that pastor's talking about. That's the expressive worship I'm challenging you this week to spend Five minutes alone with God. One time. Maybe next week you'll do it twice. Just one time. Expressively worship. Father, I thank you for our church family, Lord. I thank you for everything you do. I just thank you, Lord. I don't have too much more to say, Lord, and add on to that. I'll let you take care of the rest. Send us all on our way in peace, Lord. Bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.